the story of how Pastor Keith Reeser ended up with 29 strangers living in the basement of his Denver church begins with a crate of bananas and one very determined parishioner. The parishioner came first. This was in October. She'd stumbled onto a migrant encampment, 400 tenths thick. And then she came and met me that day and said, Keith, we've got to do something. What these people are experiencing, this is insane. Pastor Keith had never seen one of these encampments himself, but he was familiar with the headlines. Denver has experienced a surge of migrants over the last few months, 40,000 in all. And my initial response was, no way. (laughs) I, I don't think there's any way we could handle any of those issues. The food, the hunger, the shelter, I just couldn't process. I, I, I don't have jobs to offer. I mean, it was an overwhelming situation. But a week later, the pastor found himself staring at that crate of donated bananas. And he thought about those people in the tents. He was like, I might as well take this stuff over to them. And I don't speak any Spanish. I was trying to figure out Google. I was trying to figure it out. It was kind of a nightmare. <laughs> I'm imagining you there with your phone and Google Translate like, uh... Right. <laughs> But once I said fruta, they immediately, uh, they came and they were asking, can I have more? And so that was when my heart began to melt towards the situation, uh, giving away hundreds and hundreds of fruit um, was was pretty uh, eye-opening and changed. it changed me in that moment. Denver is just one American city dealing with a wave of immigrants. Ever since Texas Governor Greg Abbott began sending buses north back in 2022, camps like this one have been materializing in New York, in Chicago. Some of them are official, some not. In Denver, many of the migrants are from Venezuela. They may have temporary protected status or they may be applying for asylum. The city only gives them housing for a couple of weeks, even though many of them have nowhere to go. So... As Congress shoots down border deals and impeaches immigration czars, people like Pastor Keith are on the ground, picking up the pieces, handing out bananas. And a couple months after he saw that first encampment, he was laying out mattresses underneath his church sanctuary. I'm curious how you talk about what's happening in your city. Like when I read about Denver and how it's coping, I've read that Denver's furious about What's happening with migrants? I've read that Denver's in crisis. <laughs> yeah. Do either of those descriptors feel right to you? Oh, I've certainly had people that have those opinions. <laughs> um, what's changed the story for me is when they've come and knocked on the church door. What I would just hope that anybody that's listening is that they would look at the person in the eyes rather than looking at the number 40,000, but they would imagine one person standing in front of them. Today on the show, a Denver church remakes itself in a crisis. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Here's how it works to convert your church to a shelter. First, you make sure it's up to code. Then you bring in the volunteers. Pastor Keith was lucky to have extra space, a gymnasium and a couple of showers in the church basement that weren't getting a whole lot of use. Now, every night, the gym underneath Denver Friends Church transforms. 29 mats get rolled out, a hot meal gets served up, and for a couple dozen people, this church becomes a different kind of sanctuary. Pastor Keith knows a lot of his guests by name. There's like uh, uh, Mariana, there's uh, Jefferson. Maria stands out to me because she has three different children that are in our church. She's a fun one to watch chasing her children around. Pastor Keith's original idea was to have the church open on cold nights when it's 32 degrees or below. He got volunteers to make the food. He got volunteers to stay overnight. He also invested money. He says it costs about $500 a day to run this place. This ad hoc shelter has been open since early January. Pastor Keith says the very first night was a bit of a rocky start. To be honest, there was like an hour where nobody showed up. And so we thought, oh, man, we messed this up. And you imagine you've got like beds out, you've got like a hot meal ready, and then just nothing. Right. And we actually had a journalist in the building and they said, hey, I just interviewed some people under a bridge this morning. Uh, Do you want to go get them? And I said, well, let me call a team meeting. So I had four people that were standing there that had vehicles And these people were living under a bridge and there's 15 of them. And so we actually drove to them and were able to offer them shelter and uh, they were willing to come. So they left their tents behind under a bridge. And it was quite a beautiful moment, to be honest. I mean, they came in, they were eating, they were laughing, they were sitting there and they, they kept asking questions like, what do we owe you? Why are you doing this? And we said, you, you don't owe us anything. We're, we want to serve you. And hmm. we, had a, we had clothing out, and they were all able to take some clothes. You could hear them laughing, and just a joy filled our space that first night. You mentioned to my producer that some migrants, when you've approached them, they're scared about leaving their stuff behind. They're worried someone's going to come clear it, and they don't know what's going to happen in the morning. Did some people stay outside, even though it was cold? Unfortunately, some did. We had a really nasty cold streak. It was a few days after we opened that the city actually opened up a coliseum and some other cold shelters, and some stayed outside. And one of the gentlemen um, named Freddie, he actually comes to Sunday services because he has a residence, but um, his four buddies stayed in tents. 
and their propane heater failed. And by the time they recognized it, all four of them had passed away. They died in the freezing cold. It was like negative 16 that night. And it's, it just breaks your heart because so many of them have never experienced in Venezuela colder than 60 degrees. So it's hard to describe. It will be 76 degrees colder than that. This could kill you. You cannot stay outside. How did you minister to Freddie in that moment when his friends have passed? I think you just need to take some time to be in that space with him. There's not a lot of words to describe the the pain that he's experiencing. Uh, I mean, to travel this far to a future that those four gentlemen specifically, what they imagined, what they dreamed, those things are lost in a moment. But for Freddie, he was just mourning the loss of his friends and just listening to him, being present with him in that moment. Um, you can't excuse it. You can't try and tell him this was God's plan or something. That's certainly an outrageous statement. Hmm. Can you tell me the story of one or two families who've really stuck with you through this last month? Yeah, sure. This other couple came up. They're what I would call underdocumented. They just have very minimal documents. But their story is just, it it, it really wakes you up to the, the hardship. Um, they actually walked the 4,000 miles. And then I think the last 100 miles or so was train. But they got to the border. And when they got there, they didn't have enough paperwork to start the crossing process. So what they got was a raffle number, basically. And they were told to just wait until your number is called and then you can cross legally. So they waited for a month and a half uh, with all of their resources pretty much gone. They're starving. And they said, you can be waiting up to eight months. So what did they decide to do? They decided to cross the river and enter illegally. Now with no paperwork, they crossed the border. They were given the option of three different buses. Which one do you want to get in? And they heard rumor that Denver was the best city, which I don't know how that comes about, but that's what they heard. And they got in the bus and they landed in Denver. They got their 14 days of shelter. And from there, they've just been walking around and they and found our church through Freddie. Actually, uh, he said, you should go check out that church. And uh, so Freddie pointed them our way. And um, actually today they're they're pretty tired. So they're actually just sitting on our porch as I speak right now. What struck you about them and their story? Like, was it the randomness of what they'd been through in some ways? Everything they'd done to get where they are? Like, I, I wonder if they helped you see the whole issue of immigration anew in some way? I, I think it, does, it, it enlightened me of the fact that people came with this belief that they'd cross into the United States and a job would be handed to them, that they would have opportunity handed to them. And what's shocking to me for a story like theirs is they want to work, but there's nowhere to work. So they can choose to stand on street corners and maybe pick up a hundred bucks if they're lucky, selling flowers or washing windows or with a cardboard sign saying help. But they don't want to do that. So then they're stuck in this middle where there's no paper trail. In my heart, what, why this one strikes a nerve is the hopelessness. 
that they experience. What would I do if I was 20 years old and I walked with my wife here, no kids? What would I do? I think at the end of the day, I'd feel rejected and I'd feel hopeless. Our nation has, you know, it's different policies at the border right now. And so they're letting them in, but they're letting them into what? And that's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, the work piece seems really, really important. I know that you want people to work. You don't want them dependent on charity. And the people that you're housing don't really necessarily want to be dependent on charity. And it's funny, you know, I was I was reading about your mayor and how he met with migrants recently. And they were basically begging for work. They were saying, we'll do anything. We're ready. And he was having to tell them, it's the federal government that issues work permits. Like, I can't I can't help with that. Right, right. I just wonder if you're like sort of, <laughs> you're seeing all this bureaucracy and infrastructure that maybe you didn't even, I, I, I didn't necessarily know it existed until I read about it. Well, yeah, what I imagined is that if you wanted to work, you could get a work visa. But now when, I, when I've when i looked at some of their paperwork, like there's a family that's no longer in our shelter, family of eight. A family of eight. Wow. They were showing me their paperwork. They had quite a bit of paperwork. Um, and theirs was actually a shorter range of their court date. But they crossed December 3rd into the United States. They arrived in Denver December 15th of 2023. And then um, their court date wasn't until June of 2025. So the stuff that they're handed to me is outrageous that we would make them wait that long. Because what are they supposed to do for two years? Right. You can't work. So at least not legally uh, or, you know, you can't file taxes. You can't, you, everything you're going to get is uh, petty cash that people hand you. So to me, it, it's a breakdown of our establishment. You know, if we're going to have a border situation that we have where we allow them in, then I think there should be an opportunity of saying, you get to work. Uh, here's your work visa. I mean, how many jobs do we have that would be amazing to have all of those infrastructures at full functioning capacity with all these people that are willing to work? I think it's a no-brainer, but when it's caught up in bureaucracy, it it can get you, if you want to get me angry, that's one of the areas that'll get me angry. <laughs> I mean, some conservatives, I'm sure, would look at what's happening in Denver and say, well, this is an argument for just shutting the border down, like a hard stop. Let's just keep people out. I wonder how you think about that. What's hard for me is to process just the the magnitude of how many people are, are currently on a journey to get here. So it's not like a faucet. You can't just shut it off and they'll stop coming. Like, how would they even be informed that the border is truly closed? But for me to say, let's shut the border okay, fine. You want to talk about that? We could talk about that. But I think the issue is let's serve the ones that are actually here and make it work, make it possible. The system is very broken. And so what I've been really active in, in talking with other churches specifically, is that issue exactly. What if other churches started to make a bigger difference in helping, sheltering, allowing people to move into communities all across the United States. I think there's truly, this could be a moment for the church to be seen in a positive light for helping people arrive into our nation and have a decent chance. When we come back, what happens when temperatures go up and the church 
closes its doors. You know, you said something when my producer first reached out to you that I wanted to follow up on. You mentioned that you've gotten hate mail and angry voicemails since you opened your shelter. And I got to say, that surprised me. Can you talk to me about that? Who are you hearing from? What are they saying? You know, there's people that want to just send out a hateful thing, and but they want to do it anonymously. So whatever. My, my response is, if you, if you don't have the guts to put your name to it, um, then I'm going to put it right in the trash where it belongs. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're going to be specific, I told my secretary, if somebody's specific or they're threatening, which we have not had, we've had strong language, but I would suggest we've not had um, actionable offenses where they've said they're going to do something to us. Uh, but I said, if that comes, then we'll call the authorities and we'll document it. But if it's just somebody that's really dislikes what we're doing, I don't really see a whole lot of benefit in listening to that. I can tell in the first 10 seconds if somebody's dropped five F-bombs and <laughs> said I'm going to hell that it's it's probably not worth my time to listen to the rest of that message. Um, have you gotten a message like that? I, <laughs> I have, yeah. But the reality is it's an opportunity uh, too. And this might sound strange, but if I'm given an opportunity, here's what I would say. If I, most of them hang up on me. They don't really want to hear what I want to say. Oh, you actually get into a conversation with people. Like you've answered the phone and it's been a live conversation. It was from their end, but as soon as I tried to respond, they hung up. So, um, what did they say? Well, they were saying all kinds of, uh, that I was not serving the veterans of our nation that founded our nation and defended our nation. And I wasn't serving American citizens. And that these people came illegally, so they should be kicked back out was basically the the essence of the message with a lot of colorful language. What I wanted to say was, at the end of the day, what you just communicated to me was that there are people that you're seeing that are hurting in our nation. And whether or not they have legal status or they've served in our military branch or they're experiencing homelessness, what you've described to me are actually beautiful souls in need of somebody helping them. And so while I can't help everyone, we're a small entity, we're a small church. What I would ask of you is, is God putting on your heart these people that you need to consider serving? Because we said yes to serving the migrants from Venezuela specifically. But what I'm wondering is, who do you need to say yes to? I think you need to look in the mirror and say, what is God calling you to do? Rather than throwing the blame around and blaming people who are just trying to help. Did you start to say that? And then the person hung up? I, I, I did. <laughs> I did. Um, I think I got as far as saying, thank you for your comment. Uh, I'm, I, it sounds like you're very passionate about this. And I, it was about right then that they hung up. Uh, and, I, uh, and I was like, okay, whatever. Oh, man. You know, earlier in this conversation... You alluded to something, which was that originally the shelter was set up to be available at a certain temperature 
32 degrees, freezing. The idea was, we won't let people freeze in the cold. And how even now, you've sort of had to reimagine that a little bit, because maybe it's 34 degrees, maybe it's 35 degrees, and you're thinking to yourself, am I really going to not let people in? How will you know that it's time to stop housing people at the church? Well, if if you're a person of prayer, I would ask that you help me through this because that is a heartbreaking situation for me. And I'm asking people to pray all the time because there's not going to be that perfect moment when you say, okay, off you go. Good luck in your tent. It, it doesn't feel right. Um, and I don't know what closing the doors looks like. Um, I do know as far as our volunteer staff that some of them have said, I can't help beyond March. <laughs> so for lack of better term, I'm my volunteers are tired and we don't know that we can continue, certainly at this capacity, unless like a cold streak happened and we had to emergency open again. But I think the real heartbeat behind this for me is to consider, can we get these 29 to other people's homes and moved into sustainable living situations. The leadership of my church are talking about in March, having some serious conversations of what it will look like to get those 29 moved out so that we would, when we close our doors, we're not throwing them aside. We've helped them as far as we could. And, you know, what the reality is kicking into, if it's going to be hard, it's going to be really hard to say we're all done now. So you're going to ask your parishioners to do one more thing for you. Make sure these these folks are okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Because they're people. And, um, you know, I could, I could speak to the volunteers in my church, the people that attend my church. There have been so many beautiful moments that they've stepped up in so many ways. Like we had some snowstorms and people just on the doorstep actually tears, crying, saying we're so cold. And I happened to be in the church that moment. And of course, I'm opening the door. And I called a couple people in the church, some moms actually in our church. And I said, is there any chance that you have any flexibility? And they said, absolutely. And they drove over to the church, put them in their own cars and took them home until the shelter opened that evening. I mean, countless days that has happened where people have gone so far beyond above and beyond. There's been some absolutely beautiful moments uh, for the people that we've been serving. Keith Reeser, I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You are very welcome. Keith Reeser is the senior pastor at Denver Friends Church in Denver, Colorado. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Catherine Fink. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... 
The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.